Hello and welcome to Equipping the Saints. I'm Ryan and thank you for joining us today on this lovely Sunday. So we are three days in the first calendar week in completing the Bible in a year. And before we go any further, I thought it was important to go through the significance of what we're doing here because the Bible itself should not be underestimated. Um, as Christians, there are certain things about the Bible that we have to know, we have to believe for this to mean something to us. And it's not a, just a, a means of self-discovery, but rather a discovery of God and us in light of him and in light of what has happened in the past. So I wanted to take the time today to give you 10 truths about the Bible that we must absolutely believe in. So without, without any further ado, let's just get right into it. So number one, the Bible is the complete, inerrant, preserved Word of God. Now that's a lot for one bullet point, but let me explain briefly what I mean. So the Bible is complete. If you, especially if you go on places like YouTube, there are so many false teachers out there. There's so many groups that are purposely trying to mislead, to deceive the masses. And they'll tell you things like that there are books of the Bible that the church does not want you to know about. Or that there are books of the Bible that have recently just been rediscovered as being a part of the original canon of Scripture, and the world needs to know. But let me assure you this. It's been 2,000 years since the Bible has been what we would consider complete, with the last writing of it being near the end of the first century. And the Bible is complete. And what I mean complete is all 66 books of the Christian Bible are the complete works of God. There's nothing more to add to it. There's nothing more to take away. Everything that is extra, what we would consider extra, not of the 66 books of the Bible, do not belong in the Bible for various reasons. And I'll go into that here in a bit. Why? But uh, the main reason is because the Bible itself is inerrant. What that means is, is that it does not contain any errors. It doesn't contradict itself. It doesn't teach one thing and say another. Jesus says one thing, but he does another. It completely lines up. It's cohesive. The method of salvation, it remains constant throughout the Bible from beginning to end. It is the inspired word of God. And it is preserved for us. His word has been preserved throughout the millennia. The Bible is 66 books compiled together, but let me be very clear that the Bible is one story, and it's God's story. And we, how do we fit into it? But it is God's story, and it is one complete story because he is the author of it. Even though the Bible is over 4,000 years old, written by multiple different men, he allows their personality to be shown and evident in their writings, 
but the message of the Bible is inspired by God himself because it lines up so perfectly throughout these millennia. And he never lets his word be wasted. So we can be comforted and confident that the Bible that we have in our laps on Sunday is the same Bible, the same word of God that they had 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 years ago. When you look at the ancient manuscripts that we've discovered through archaeology and through tradition, through different codices, they line up. English, unfortunately, is a non-emotional language. And what I mean by that is some of the, um, the depth of words is lost to us only because Hebrew, the original Hebrew and the original Greek were such emotional languages. There's so much depth and uh, meaning to the words. They, have, they packed so much power into words in those days. And English, it doesn't have that strength, unfortunately. But even so, the Bible translations that we have are good. There are some that are not, and we can talk about that some other time, but for the most part, your average Bible translation is solid, and we can be comforted that this is the Word of God. And if you wanted me to do an episode on how that works, I can tell you that uh, I'd be glad to do that, but I would be referencing people that are far more intelligent, far more educated than I am on this matter because they're the ones that I will be getting that information from. Anyway, number two, the Bible is a history book. Everything that happens in the Bible happened when it happened, and it actually happened. There's that concept and that uh, understanding out in the world today that the Bible is fiction. Or that it's a collection of stories, kind of like Aesop's Fables or the Odyssey of Homer, things like that. But let me tell you straightforward that that is false. This is history. The way the Bible says creation happened, how the universe began, is exactly how it happened. How man was created and the lineage of Adam and what happened after Noah, and how the nations dispersed after the Tower of Babel, which resulted in all the many races of the world. That all really happened. And so we have to be confident in that we are reading history for us. And God doesn't have to do it this way, but I love that he does. Archaeology has proven the Bible to be accurate every single time. For example, there was a survey done of the, the Red Sea. You know the story. When Moses took the Israelites out of Egypt, and he parted the Red Sea, and they went through it on dry land, and as the Egyptian chariots entered into the Red Sea, and the Israelites successfully crossed, and God caused the Red Sea to fall upon the Egyptians and drown them all. 
and it gives you a specific number of chariots and horses and all that that were destroyed in that manner. Well, archaeologists have found the actual site of all those chariots that are at the bottom of the Red Sea. It really happened. Another example, the city of Nineveh is mentioned many places in the Bible. But for a long time, people thought it was a fictional place because they could not find this place until the early 1900s when they found a gate to a city. And as they started excavating around it, they found the entire city of Nineveh, exactly where the Bible says it was. Not only that, but, for example, the book of Jonah says that Nineveh from beginning to end, was about a three days walk. It would take you three days to walk from one end of the city to the other. And that's exactly how big it is. There are some theories as well that certain kings listed in the Hebrew line and the uh, the kings of Israel, for example, uh, King Hezekiah. There are some people that thought King Hezekiah was not a real person. But sure enough, they found, an, uh, I believe it was an aqueduct in underneath Jerusalem that had a seal on it. And it was a, a seal that had King Hezekiah's name on it. So, and the list goes on and on. But the Bible has proven every single time to be historically accurate. There is not one thing in archaeology that has been discovered that contradicted the Bible. That is amazing. Number three, the Bible is a science book. There is an ongoing debate that science and the Bible don't mix. But let me be the first one to tell you, if you've never heard that before, or if you've heard contrary to that, that is completely not true. And let me tell you why. Because the Bible... It was written by God, and God created all of physics. He created the time-space continuum. He created all the elements. He created all the laws of nature. He caused all these things to be. And should not we trust the author of these things first than to trust someone else based on scientific theory, when this is indeed fact. There's a huge difference between a theory and a fact. A theory means that it's plausible, or that it is thought to be this way. It's not confirmed as a fact. But a fact is a fact. There's a difference. The Bible is a science book, and there are many ways that we can prove this. And... I, would, I am eventually going to do this one because I did a study of this at my church many years ago on all the science that's in the Bible. And let me tell you, there is definitely more than a hundred places in the Bible that talk about scientific things. And I'm not going to spoil it for you, but for example, the very first thing you see when you come off of the ark, when Noah comes off the ark, and God is talking to Noah about how man should treat each other. 
and how animals are going to be treating man after that. God says that the life is in the blood. It took man well after the 1800s, you know, after the Civil War, to discover that the blood was your life. And before that, it was a common method of trying to cure somebody of illnesses and poison and whatnot by bloodletting. You know, they bleed you out. And people would die from that more often than not because the life is in the blood. Or how it talks about that God sets the world hanging on nothing, the circle of the earth hanging on nothing in the cosmos. And it, the world is a sphere, and it does hang on nothing. It floats freely in space. And so it's little things like that. There's so much of it. I mean, the laws of thermodynamics are in the Bible, how to, you know, sanitary ways of living, um, you know, planetary movements, you know, constellations. There's, you know, na natural science. There's physics. There's chemistry. There's astronomy in the Bible. So much of it's in there. And we'll, we'll look at some later, but the Bible is a science book for sure. They do coincide with each other. Number four. The Bible is to be taken literally, metaphorically, and symbolically, but not always at the same time. So what do I mean by this? So, for example, the Bible is most of the time supposed to be taken literally. So you're telling me that in the Garden of Eden, a literal snake went up to Eve and talked with her and told her that if she ate the fruit, she wouldn't die. You're telling me a real snake said that? Yes, the Bible is very literal in that sense. So you're telling me that when Elijah was on the mountaintop with God, proving that the prophets of Baal were false, and he asked God to rain fire from heaven. Are you telling me that fire from heaven came down on that altar? Absolutely it did. So you're telling me that the Bible, the Bible says that the world was created in six literal 24-hour days? Am I supposed to believe that? Yes, we are. Why? Because if we have anything in the Bible that we think is false or that we think is untrue, why should we believe any of it? If we don't believe the Bible as stated, then we're calling God a liar or that it's false. And we can't do that. If we believe God to be 100% true and completely who he says he is, then we have to believe everything that's given to us. Now, there are some things in the Bible that are meant to be taken um, metaphorically. So, for example, um, when Jesus was referring to himself in different ways, the seven I am's of the book of John, he'll say things like, I am the bread of life. Honestly, do we really have to struggle with this one? We know he's not a loaf of bread, that he is metaphorically speaking here. As in, what is bread for? What does it do for the body? 
how does that relate to the spiritual life, so on and so forth. And there are some things in the Bible that are symbolic. For example, especially the book of Revelation. You know, when it mentions a beast with seven heads and seven diadems and all this stuff, it may not be literally a beast with seven heads. It's possible, but highly unlikely. And it's usually symbolic as to mean something else. So we take what is literal in the Bible, we should take it literally. The things that are metaphoric, we should definitely consider them metaphorically. And some, the things that are symbolic need to be taken symbolically. They can't always be at the same time. But it depends on what kind of literature you're reading in the Bible. Because there are some, some things are historical. Some things are a revelation of, a, of an apocalypse. And there are some things that are poetic. And obviously when we, we use poetic language, sometimes we use illustrative language to get our point across. And the Bible does the same thing. Number five, Scripture reinforces Scripture. The Bible supports itself from beginning to end. And the themes and the messages of the Bible do not change. For example, the methods of salvation in the Bible remain constant from beginning to end. The way that God wants himself to be known, the way that we're supposed to interact with him, what God considers sin, and what he considers to be things that he likes, do not change throughout the Bible. And so um, the themes and the purposes of the Bible remain constant from beginning to end, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, and everything in between. And so you can certainly look up a topic in the Bible about, for example, abiding in Christ, and that's not a new concept for, this was something that was established back in the book of Exodus, or the book of Deuteronomy. You know, something that may show up in 1 Samuel, or may show up in the book of um, Hosea. And the theme is precise from beginning to end in the Bible. So scripture certainly reinforces itself. Number six, scripture does not contradict itself. The Bible will not tell you one thing, but it ends up being something completely different. In fact, um, Scripture certainly doesn't contradict itself, even in the facts. So there are some areas of Scripture that were up for debate for a while, or may, at a glance, look like they contradict themselves. But they don't. And um, one day I'm going to do the episode on that one as well, but there are these supposed um, contradictions throughout the Bible. And there's some little ones that are easily explained. So, for example, you read the creation story of Genesis chapter 1, right? But then when you go to Genesis chapter 2, it talks about something a little bit different in how things were created, or so it would seem. So in Genesis chapter 1, it talks about that um, out of the water, God made the birds of the air. 
But then when you see in chapter 2, it shows that he made birds out of the ground after he made Adam. So which was it? Were the birds made first or was man made first? And all it's talking about is the Garden of Eden, that he made the animals for the garden right then and there. And it's also a recount of Adam's experience of creation through just through another um, viewpoint. So it's not that it's a contradiction, it's a completely different event. Or how in sometimes in um, the books of, books of the Kings, or in the books of First and Second Samuel, the same story is seen from a different vantage point in First and Second Chronicles, and some of the numbers are a little different. But those are also easy to explain, and we can certainly go through that sometime. Or another one that is a common debated one is how how many people died in the wilderness when. They were wandering the desert for 40 years during the Exodus. And there was that time where God called fiery serpents to bite and kill people. And the only way they could live was to um, look at the bronze serpent that was on the pole. And there was a certain number of people that were said to have died at that time. But then when Paul said it in the New Testament, he had a slightly different number. So which one was right? Was he right or was the other one right? They're both right, and it's easy to explain. So there are no contradictions in the Bible. If there are some that appear to be contradictions, they can be explained. Because, again, Scripture reinforces itself. And we just have to be very careful to the wording of things. Number seven, the Bible is exclusive. Now, this one should be pretty straightforward. There is only one way to know God. There is only one way to worship him. There is only one way to heaven, and that is through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, the Bible doesn't teach any other way. And in this world today, people have a big problem with that. Because there has to be so many other ways to God. There has to be. No. No, there's not. Doesn't matter how good you are of a person. Doesn't matter how many good things you do. None of that matters. What matters is knowing the true God of the Bible. What he desires for us. His choice to save you. And our responsibility to believe. And to act upon that faith. That is what is required. And there is no other way. People don't like that. But that is the truth. And quite honestly. There is nothing more loving. Than telling someone the truth. So if they have a problem. With the exclusivity of the Bible. Their problem is not with you. Their problem is with God. And they should take it up with the Lord himself. Number eight, the Bible is intolerant. This one is tricky because we have to have a proper understanding of what this means. God is very clear about how he feels about sin. 
So it should not be a surprise to us that there are things in this world that are happening every single day around us that are completely unacceptable to God. And the Bible is intolerant in that way. We are to be loving to all people. We are to have mercy on all people. We are supposed to share the gospel with all nations. But there are things about our nature and the things that we do as human beings that are completely unacceptable to God. You know, this whole movement right now for, you know, what is truth, your truth is your truth, my truth is my truth, that's completely false. There is only one truth, and that's Jesus Christ and God's standards. That He is the originator of truth. This whole movement on the LGBT community is completely abominable. God strongly dislikes homosexual behavior and any perversion otherwise. The only thing acceptable in God's eyes is a man and a woman in a marriage, and that is the only kind of sex and interaction that we should be having. Otherwise, it stays out of our lives, and anything else is considered a, a perversion. That is the truth, and it is intolerant. But if we start bowing and scraping to the things of this world, we are disrespecting our Lord greatly. His standards will never change, neither should ours. What he loves, we should love. What he hates, we should hate. Now, we don't hate the person, we hate the sin. And we should call for their repentance. We should never compromise with the Bible. What God has said needs to stand forever. Number nine, the Bible is entirely about Jesus Christ and man's need for salvation. If you zoom out and you look at the Bible as a whole, that is the recurring theme. From beginning to end, the Bible is about God being the center focal point of the Bible and how man is utterly hopeless without him. So we see that repeated throughout history, not only in the history of the Bible, but the history of the world. And the Bible encapsulates it so perfectly because God wrote it. He does everything perfectly. But how Jesus Christ is the only means of salvation, that it takes God condescending from his throne in heaven down to us on an individual level and saving us from eternal damnation. That's how it has to be. We need salvation. And there is no salvation from apart from anyone else. Only through God is there salvation. And God repeats that time and time and time again throughout the history of Israel and going into the New Testament, what they did to their Messiah, what they did to the first missionaries and the first Christians after the resurrection, after Pentecost. The, the problem is never fixed. Ever since the Garden of Eden, the problem has been the same root problem from the very beginning. And it will continue to be until God returns and restores all things to the way it was. 
And number 10, the Bible is God's revelation to mankind. You want to know who God is? Look in the Bible. He wants us to find him there. You want to know what God loves? It's in the Bible. You want to know what God hates? It's in the Bible. He is a personal being. He is way beyond our understanding. He's way beyond comprehension. He's way bigger than we than we can even fathom. I mean, it's described in the Bible that the entire universe fits within his handbreadth of him. The, the universe is small compared to him. He's everywhere in it, and nothing escapes his view. And so, God is so beyond us, we cannot even come close to fully understanding who he is. But how he wants us to know him is what he's put in his word in a way that we can understand it. I've heard it ta uh, said once like this, where the, um, the Bible is God's baby talk to mankind. You know how we have you know, our pets and we have our, the babies in our lives that we get that little affected voice and we really dumb down our language. Hey, you little gay. We get like that with them, right? That's our baby talk to them because we know they don't fully understand us the way we understand each other. And God's the same way. He goes from his supreme holiness, his supreme omniscience, his supreme omnipotence, and he condescends down to a human being, and he baby talks us. And the way he baby talks us in our prayer lives, the way he um, talks to us in his word, is how he's chosen to reveal who he is to us. I don't even think when we get to heaven, we're going to have a full understanding of who God is. I think we'll have a better understanding, but we won't fully understand who God is in his entirety. I don't think it's possible, simply because we are created beings, and he is not. So we have. We want to know what God is like. You want to know how to what pleases him. You want to do know how to be obedient to him, what he expects from you, what his will is for you. It's all there. It's all there in the Bible. So we just have to look for him there. And the Bible should call us to prayer, the realization of who he is, and that he's waiting for us to meet him on an individual level. So my challenge for you is to see the Bible as it really is. It is the true word of God. And it is the only way to truly live. So take what we do very seriously, because this is not just filling our head with knowledge. This is filling our heads with wisdom and filling our hearts with a longing for our Lord and knowing who he is. The entire Bible serves a purpose and nothing was wasted. It's all there for a reason. So I invite you, if you haven't started with us on the uh, Bible in a Year plan, I highly encourage you to do so. It's only five days out of the seven days of a week, and which gives room for error. 
But the Lord wants us to meet him there. And through what we read, it will cause you to find areas of the Bible that God will speak to you through or that will inspire individual study, which is the whole point. We want to immerse ourselves in the only thing in this world that truly matters. And that's God's calling for our lives. So I hope you found this helpful. And thank you for spending some time with me today. My name is Ryan, and I will see you next time. Take care, and God bless you.